This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. We're going to talk tonight on a subject, new shir, totally new. Pain. Pain, pain, pain. We're going to talk about Yisurim. All right. So, why Hashem gives us pain and how to handle pain. So, let's take a look at a very interesting medrash, which we never learnt before. It says like this, every single day of creation, except the second day, it says that Hashem saw that it was good. Let's go to the first, first day. Vayalakim Esar Kitayv. The second day, um, the second day, second day, oh, the second day doesn't say Kitayv because the second day Hashem did a hot, Yavayavdel ben Amayim, Hashem betach shukir ben Amayim, Hashem alarikia, Hashem made the first separation, He separated two things, separating two things, even though Hashem did it to create the world, it's not good. So the second day doesn't say the word Tayv because there was separation. Um, third day it says Vayalakim Kitayv. Every day it says Vayalakim Kitayv. The last day, the last day it says as following. Vayalakim es kolashe osa. And God looked at everything that he made, that he did. Behine tov ma'od. And it was very good. So, every day it says tov. The last day it says Hashem looked at everything because everything was created at this point. It was right before Shabbos. And Hashem used the Lashon It wasn't good. It was very good. What does that mean? That it was very good. Okay. So, let's look, let's look at the Medrash. The Medrash says the following. Rav Nachman Bar Rav Nachman Bar Bar Nachman I guess his grandfather was also Nachman. B'shem Rav Shmuel Bar Nachman, Omar. Hine tov ma'od. Tov is the Yetzir Tov. The Yetzir Tov is good. Tov ma'od, what's very good? The Yetzir A little bit shocking, a little bit hard to understand. I would say that your good Yetzir is very good. And your Yetzirahara, I guess what he does is good because he tries, you know, he's the one who gives you schar because you, you have this internal fight of, you know, he wants you to do bad and you don't listen to him. So he's good, but I would think that's it, right? So it says the Medrash, Yetzirahara is, is very good. Atmoha, I wonder. Shocker. Ella. If there was no Yetzirah, there was no Yetzirah, nobody would build a house. And you wouldn't get married. And you wouldn't have children. And you wouldn't go to work. So how do we explain this? So he says, because there's a competition in the world that everybody wants to get ahead of the other one. 
So that's why people work. I want to make more money, more money, more money. Most people are not happy just making enough money to eat and pay their bills. You have a nice car. You have a Beamer. I don't. So, hey, and you're putting the driveway next to me. I got to get a Mercedes. And, you know, once you get a Mercedes, you got to get a nicer car. So there's this competition. So we go to work and we build nice houses. And we know in the Gemara it says that they killed the Yetzirah of Avayi Zara. It's the famous Gemara that they killed the Sanhedrin, killed the Yetzirah of, of, of Avayi Zara. But since everything in this world has a balance, so if you kill the Yetzirah of Avayi Zara, the good side has to lose something. So when they, when the Gemara says that they killed the Yetzirah of Avayi Zara, because most of us don't have a Yetzirah to go bow down to some idol, you know, um, I'm Mitzvah Hashem, I'm going for business to India in a few weeks. And, um, so someone I know that I spoke to that went there, that was there, he said, you're just gonna freak out. Because when you're driving, there's cows and oxen that go across the street, and the cars have to wait for them, because that's their Avodah Zara. And if they, if they uh, leave the manure on the floor, you can't touch it. You're not allowed to pick it up. You can't touch it. So it stinks so bad, right? It stinks so bad. It's like your mom's walking into a toilet. So now, I'm sure that when I'm there, I'm going to really wonder. I'm sure when I come back, I'll have an interesting share. But... Um, but I'm sh- I'm sure I'm going to wonder like what is wrong with these people because like we don't have this Yetzirah anymore. So serve a cow, you serve a cow on a plate, you know, and a sino steak or a hamburger. But you know, to serve to serve a cow doesn't make any sense. You're all laughing like that's stupid. Or to serve a Buddha doll, you know, that's like pretty stupid. So how come it's stupid? And you learn the, and you learn a Chumash and a Navi, all these these false prophets that served. Asherah trees, trees and, and idols and what's wrong with these people? Like we're, we're not, we're not more advanced than they are and we, we never serve an idol. It's because they killed that Yetzahara. But what happened was when they killed the Yetzahara, we also lost prophet, we lost on the good side prophecy. That was the end of Nevius. Because they killed the Yetzahara by Yetzahara, we also lost Nevius. There was no more Nevius after that. There was no more Nevius. I guess because, um, the 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 the, the 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 connection through Avodah Zarah to their gods through bowing down to an idol maybe it was compared to our connection through to Hashem through a navi. I don't know exactly the media connected media there, but that's what happened. We lost the we lost that kedusha. So they went ahead and they said, "Hey, this is good." Benzin said, "This is working. Kill Avodah Zarah and the Yetzer of Avodah Zarah and 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 uh, it works. So let's now kill." Yitzhahara for Znus, pornography, women. So let's go kill him. If we kill him, then we get rid of all those Averas and all the, all the bad movies and all the filth and magazines and everything. Gone. So they went ahead and they said, for some reason, they didn't kill him, but they injured him. They said, let's injure him and see what happens. And they injured him, and when they injured him, the Gemara says, the chickens stop laying eggs. Because... If there's no attraction between female and male, there's no reproduction. So Bezin, so they realize, uh-uh. So they hadn't realized, this Yetzirah we can't mess with. If we kill that Yetzirah, there'll be no children in the world. So, so what he's saying over here, in this Medrash is that Ma'oid, is that there's a Yetzirah, because the Yetzirah, first of all, causes us to work, and causes us to get married, and causes us to have children. And, um... Also, we'll see later on, he also um, causes this internal struggle that we have 
And if we didn't have this internal struggle, in fact, I saw somewhere in the Sefer that there were tzaddikim that were davening not to have Mashiach. Why not to have Mashiach? Because they said when Mashiach comes, there won't be a Tzaharin. Not they were davening, but they would rather, they would, not they were davening, but they would rather that there was no Mashiach. I think it's even brought down maybe in a Gemara somewhere. Because they said that there'll be no struggle. And they look forward to that struggle. I believe it's, it's a Mepharish on the Gemara that says that, that when Mashiach comes, the Yitzhahara to the, to the, to the Tzaddikim is going to look like a mountain, and the Yitzhahara to the Rishayim is going to look like a little pinhole, like nothing, like a little bit. Because the, the, the Tzaddikim are going to get reward that the Yitzhahara was this big mountain that they overcame, and the Rishayim are going to get punished that the Yitzhahara was this teeny little thing that they couldn't overcome. So over there it explains that the Tzaddikim Said we'd rather live in a time where he ate Sahara because we go we like to fight and and if you can overcome him that's why you're on this world and that's why the Sahara is not supposed to win he's supposed to lose there's a malach I saw a home of Firish on the medrash on this medrash and he explains that the malach the satan the Sahara was created to lose to cause you an internal conflict and that he should lose in the end and that's his mission his mission is to lose not to win and that's why by Yaakov when they had that fight, so when he lost, he said right away, I have to go sing praises to Hashem. So the Medrash said that it was his day to sing praises. Every Malach gets one day to sing praises. It was that day was the Malach of Esau. So the Medrash asks, if that was his day to sing praises, and you only have one day in the whole life of a Malach, why would he take a chance and go fight on that day? Maybe he's going to lose, he won't be able to sing. So go a day after, go a week after, go a week before. This is your day in heaven. The next morning, right, is your big day in heaven to sing, to sing Shirat Hashem. So that's the night that you're going to fight with Yaakov Avinu, the night before you're going to sing Shira? That doesn't make any sense. So the Medrash says that he wasn't supposed to sing Shira. A Malach sings Shira when he, when he accomplishes what he was created for. So he, cre- he since he had a fight with ya- Yaakov that night, and Yaakov beat him, so now, automatically, he, he lost, which he's supposed to do, because that's what he was created to do, to try to make you do that very, but not, not, but you should win. So since Yaakov won, so that's why that morning was his morning to sing praises. So the Yitzhahara is really created to lose, not to win. I think he's a little bit carried away with himself these days. I think he's like putting up too good a fight. Um, which brings me to just a short comment on Facebook. Um, I really made up my mind that I wasn't going to talk about it anymore. And, and really, because there's really nothing for me to tell you that you don't know anymore. What information am I going to give you that you don't know anymore? But I have to tell you what happened this week. I got more information. So it seems to be, this has to do with Facebook and YouTube and the whole Internet. So, you know, I know a lot about Facebook and the stuff that it does and, and how terrible it is and, and not only the, what, what's on there and, and, and um, I mean, last week a girl came to me and um, she is going out with a boy and she's very serious and um, the shidduch's about to happen. So she came to me and she was crying and she said that she's a Balchuva and three years ago, four years ago, she wasn't so uh, from, she wasn't so religious. And she had the friend that she was hanging out with in those days. And that was also not religious. Her whole group was not religious. And they took pictures. 
And her friend put it on her albums, I guess. I don't know exactly what that means, but her albums on Facebook. And she knows that if this boy, who's very religious, because she's very religious right now, would ever see those pictures, he would not, he would not, he would break the shidduch. So she called up her friend, and she asked her friend if she please, she's now religious, and she's going up with her boy seriously, if she would please take the, her pic, the pictures of her off her Facebook account. She said no. If this guy will break up with you because he sees these pictures, then he doesn't really care about you anyway. She says, don't, don't tell me what he's, you know, if he cares about me or not. I'm asking you, it's my private pictures, and I want them off. She wouldn't take them off. So the whole Facebook is just, there's no privacy. There's no, what, what, what happened this week is a bunch of boys did something so not normal. I'm not even going to talk about it here in the show, but so disgusting and so not normal. And another boy filmed it. And the reason they did it, after me sitting with them and exploring this total insanity, what they did, the reason they did it was only to get it filmed and get it posted. So, so not only does Facebook, a place that's a bad place, but it causes kids and adults to film things that they shouldn't be filming when other people don't know so that they could post it on their Facebook account so their friends can see it. It's totally busting privacy. It, it's like such a disease. You know, that I, wasn't, I was never even looking at that angle of it, right? But I was like sitting with these kids. I'm like, why? First of all, why did you do it? Second of all, why would he film this? Thank God he did film it because they were denying it. I had everything on film. So they were doing it to put on Facebook and on YouTube. So I don't know about YouTube. I've never seen it. But there are people that go around and do disgusting things. And there are kids who film teachers in class without the teacher knowing, right? And, and, and filming them in, in not such good places, you know, whatever. And then posting it on YouTube or posting it on Facebook. Now, we all think that's very funny. But um, if you put a picture of someone that's embarrassing and you put it on Facebook for your friends to see, you have no chalik in the next world. It's so out of hand. It's like not normal. So I, I just, again, I, I double, triple advise. I know I talk about it a lot, but there's a new, there's a new edge. And these guys would have never... So, so what I said to the parents is I'm a Rebbe 31 years my eighth graders never did this before. What they did, it's like it's and 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 so when I sat with the kids, I understood because my eighth graders didn't have Facebook. So you know, I stopped teaching two years ago. Before that, there was no Facebook. So so they talk, they didn't do such crazy things. Now they do crazy things because they want to post it. It's very important that all their friends can go on and see it and laugh. It's such a it's hard. It's such it's such a satan. It's 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 so destructive beyond words. Okay. Anyway. So, that's why, that's so, so Ma'od, that Hashem saw it's told Ma'od was that he created Yetzirah. Fine. Amar Avuna, Hinei Toiv Ma'od, what is this? Right? So he says, Toiv, Midas Toiv, good are good things in life. Right? The good things in life that we have, all the simchas and the nice things, that's Toiv. What's Ma'od? Ma'oid zu midas yisurin. Pain. This is what my share is on. 
Now, you're all going to ask the same question the Medrash asks. Suffering and pain is very good. Atmaha, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? Pain is good. You know, in America they say, no, no, what is it, Nike? No pain, no gain? Right? So this same, this, this is way before Nike. Right? That's what he says. According to the amount of pain and sweat, that's how far you go. No pain, no gain. Anyone who lifts weights knows that uh, the, the heavier the weight, the bigger the muscles. Right? So, they ask the question, could it be that pain is, is something that's very good? Through pain, a person comes to getting the next world, getting Olam Haba. What are you talking about? Right? And he says, Amart, from Shlomo Melech, What is the way to get into Olam Haba? Through going through pain. So, the question is, how does pain bring you to Olam Haba? So, we know there's a mission in Pirkei Avos, and the mission in Pirkei Avos says that one second, one second of enjoyment in the next world is equal to all the enjoyments that you can come up with, roller coasters, ride, whatever you, whatever you enjoy, a good beer, a cigarette, whatever it is, right? It's like, all the enjoyments of this world are not equal to one second of the next world's enjoyments. On the other hand, it says that one second in this world is worth more than all of the next world. So the question is, that's a stero. It's contradicting. Make up your mind. Is it better in this world or is it better in that world? And the answer is that the enjoyment in the next world is better for one second, is better than this enjoyment in this world for your whole life. But the ability to do tshuva or to do a mitzvah in this world is better than the whole other world because in the whole other world you can't. Not only that, not only that, but pain takes away, yisurim, pain, takes away punishment for the avarice that you did in the next world. The yisurim in the next world Going, God forbid, if you have to go to Gehenna, right? Those Yisurim, that pain is much greater than the pain in this world. How would I explain that to you? The, the soul, the soul is made of emotion. The, the, the fire that burns the soul, which is made also out of out of Ruchnius in the next world, so it burns directly your source. That's crazy painful. Here, the pain that you have is one step removed. It's in your guf. Your guf, no matter how much pain you go through in this world, cannot be as painful as directly to your neshama. But, since you're in this world, and Hashem can only punish you in your pain in this world, you assume in this world. Therefore, the pain of this world is like an hour of pain of this world forgives you for an hour of pain of that world. Being that the pain of that world is much worse than the pain of this world, it goes hour for hour anyway, right? 
So you're much better off being punished in this world than being punished in that world. So that's what the mission is saying. The mission is saying that one second in this world of suffering is much better than in the other world. Now, I'm not a Rebbe that talks about pain, burning in hell. That's why, that's why you should be scared of God. He's a mean, evil God, and he likes to beat you up and put you in pain. Chas v'shalom. Pain is a consequence. It's not a punishment. You take your car, and you drive it into a tree at 60 miles an hour, right? The car is going to get smashed. It's not a punishment. The car didn't do anything wrong. You're not punishing your car. Oh, I'm going to punish my car. I'm going to drive it into a tree. But it's a consequence. You drive a car 60 miles an hour into a tree. Consequence is, your car is going to get wrapped around the tree, and it's going to be smashed into 100 pieces. The pain that we get in this world is not a punishment. It's a consequence of the Avera that you did. And we know that from the, from the Ariyah Kaddish, that if a person came with pain in, in, a, in an organ of his body, he was able to know what Avera you did, which is 613, right? Again, 613. He was able to fix. Let's say you had a, a bat, your eye was hurt, you had pain in your eye. So he was able to fix your eye by fixing the Avera that you did. You did true on the Avera, certain Avera, and your eye got better. Because the 613 mitzvahs, each one is connected to one of the parts of your body. Even the non-Jews, right, in the, in the, all the religions, um, not Hinduism, but, uh, Buddhism, whatever it is, they understand in, in some of the Chinese sciences that fix the soul, fix the body. They're very into fixing the soul fast, whatever, fix the soul, fix the body. They're very connected. We don't need them to tell that. We know that over, we know that over here. So there's a, there's a, there's a consequence. There's a, there's a famous story. Um, well, first of all, the Gemara talks about Yisurim, and um, there's a difference between Yisurim Shal Ahava. There, there is pain that Hashem gives you out of love. I'll explain to you that what that means. And there is pain which Hashem gives you to forgive you for your sins, and they're very different pains. The Gemara says, "How do you know if you're in pain? You have strep or whatever it is. You're, you have a crazy headache. How do you know if that's because Hashem loves you?" Well, because you were thinking about things you weren't supposed to think. So it's a midah k'nege midah. And Hashem's giving you pain to forgive you for what you were thinking about, right? So how do you know the difference? So the Gemara says that if it stops you from learning, if the pain stops you from learning in davening, then it's Yisurim to, get away, to take away Averis. Punishment. Consequence. If it's Yisurim that don't take you away, you put your hand in your pocket to get a quarter, and you take out a dime, right? Those Yisurim... Those Yisurim are Me'ava. Now, what does that mean? It's Yisurim Me'ava, right? So, anyway, there's a famous Gemara, and there was this Tana, and he was suffering, and he said, keep your Kapara, keep your Yisurim. It was too much for him. He couldn't handle it. But what does that mean, Yisurim Shalava? So, I'll tell you two stories. I'll tell you a story that happened to me. I'll tell you another story, very interesting, very cute story. So, there was this Jewish guy. You know what a Paritz is? A Paritz is a, um, in the old days, he owned a, a, a lot of land. He was called L- the Lord of the Manor, sort of. And then um, all the people that worked the land were called serfs. Uh, I'm sure of you are all educated, so you know, right? So, um, so there was this lord of the manor, and he had properties and 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 and, and orchards. And there was this Jewish guy that he really liked. They were very close. They were very good friends. And and he used to pay him whatever it is. And then one day he said, "I got to go away for a year, but I'm putting my, the 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 lord of the manor said I have a friend. I'm putting him in, and he's going to take care of all my properties." Meanwhile, this other guy was an anti-Semite. He hated Jews. He didn't know 
that the lord of the manor and this Jew were very good friends. He didn't know that. So he treated this Jew so bad. He gave him a hard time. He didn't pay him. He whipped him. He beat him. He put his kids in jail. Don't ask. He gave him a year out of hell. A year out of Gehenim. Okay. A year later, the he comes back. The Lord comes back. So he calls the Jewish guy in. He says, "No, how did my friend treat you? He says, how did your friend treat me? He killed me. Took my kids, put them in jail. He whipped me. He didn't pay me. I had the worst year of my life. The Lord is all upset. Calls this guy in. He says, what did you do? How did you treat this guy? He goes, this guy? This guy's a Jew. He says, this guy is a Jew, but this guy is a very close friend of mine. And, and therefore... I am going to punish you, because he was more powerful than this guy. He says, I'm going to punish you. You give this Jew right now $2 million because of the way you treated him. And you're lucky I'm not putting you to death. And he lets this guy go. The Jewish guy takes the $2 million. And he comes home. And he's all upset. He's sad. He's down. He's depressed. He's all upset. So his wife says to him, Yanko, what are you upset about? We never had such money in our lives. We just got two million dollars. So he turns to his wife and he says, who told the Lord to come back? If he would have waited another year, we would have gotten four million dollars. You understand? It's a very high level to be able to accept pain, but if we understood what pain in this world forgives us for, in the next world we're screaming, Oi, you gave me a, you gave me a flu for three days, God, you should have given me a flu for six days. You would have gotten rid of more of Avis. We don't, we don't understand. Of course, I'm not telling you to sit there and say, give me more pain, give me more pain. There's something wrong with you if you say that. But, but Lemaise, you have to understand that that's, that's what pain does. And I'll tell you a story that happened with me to, to explain to you what Yisurim Shalahava is. And that, that's really what, my, what, what, what I'm going to get into in my share today. Um, so two weeks ago, I had my, two weeks ago, three weeks ago now, three weeks ago, so I have these kidney stones, and I had a kidney stone that was like six centimeters. It's a big kidney stone. Um, and six centimeter stone, you can't pass. Like the biggest stone you can pass is like five centimeters. Six centimeters, it ain't, it ain't passing. So they have to crush it. So they take you to this place, and they, they use like sonar waves, whatever it is, and they hit you like 130,000 times in the kidney with the stuff, and, you, and they have to put you to sleep. Because it's like getting punched in the kidney 130,000 times. There's no way you can't lay there. There's no way you can lay there and take that. So, so they have to put you to sleep. Okay. So the first thing they do is just interesting because, you know, I like to learn from all my experiences. So it's like pretty scary because they got to put you out. You know, when they put you under anesthesia, you, you don't know. You can be allergic. You, you don't know if you're going to come out. You hear all kinds of crazy stories for even minor surgeries. People, they, they go into a coma, whatever. So it's a little, you get a little nervous when this time you're out here in this thing for about, I don't know, about a half an hour. So the first thing they do is you go into this room and they tell you you have to get undressed. Right? You have to totally get undressed. You put on one of these paper gowns. Right? It's, it's open in the back. It's like disgusting. Right? And, and your mommish feel when you put that on and you take your clothing off, you feel like a piece of meat. You feel like you are Nobody, nothing, you're not Rabbi Wallerstein, you're not a businessman, you're not a husband, you're not a father, you're just this guy in this flimsy thing that you gotta walk out, right, to the room, you gotta walk to the room in this thing, and you're like, ugh, like I feel like I'm, your mama should feel like you're nobody. 
and and they they look at you like you know you're a patient. What are you? You're a patient. Before that, I'll tell you even before that. Um, so I sit down. So before that, they got to put a line into your arm to put the intravenous in to put the demerol in to put you out. So it's a nice size little you know nice size needle. So um, I put my arm out. I don't have such good veins, and. Um, so the nurse sits there, and I'm trying to make jokes. You know, when you're nervous, you make jokes. You know, I make jokes. She takes this this rubber band, she puts it around your over here really tight, and then she starts like tapping my hand. I'm like, I'm Sherman McGee. You can't do that. You know, <laughs> she's looking at me. I'm like, stop that. You know, and she's she's tapping and tapping like this by your wrist. She's tapping, tapping, right? She's looking. She's tapping. She's rubbing. She's tapping. No veins, right? She goes, all right. Takes it off. Goes to the other arm. Puts it on. Again, starts tapping, right? I'm like, if she can't do this, I'm in big trouble because I'm in this facility that's supposed to be crushing kidney stones. They can't even put a thing into my vein. This is not good, right? She looks, she looks up here. Oh, she's got it, right? She takes this needle. She sticks it in. And she goes, I don't know. There's no blood coming out, (laughs) right? So I'm like, this really hurts. <laughs> and she says, I know, I know, I'm going to find it. It's, it's still in my hand. And then she takes this needle, she takes it out a little bit, and then she goes to the left. And I'm like, oh, and she goes, nope, not there. Um, and then she goes to the right, right? And this is really killing me. So, so what did I do? I happen to have prepared this year for, for, for Shavuos night to say this year that I'm saying today. So I'm like, don't waste the pain. Don't waste the pain. If you're going to think that it's this woman that's giving you the pain because she's totally doesn't know how, what she's doing, right? Why did Hashem send me a woman who doesn't know what she's doing? So I'm like, ow, because this needle's still in my hand. And I'm like, okay, all the pain I'm going through right now, Gush Baruch Hu, for all the Averis I did, whatever, I don't know the, you know the scale, how it works, but I want you to take away Averis for all this pain. And, and, and I said that in my mind, and I think I even said it, and she looked at me like I was very weird, like I was into pain, whatever it is, I'm like a Kush Baruch Hu. This is not a freebie that you could just stick me. It's not a freebie, you could just stick me like I'm a, like I'm a sponge. She stuck me, it hurts. I, I want to, you know, so when a person's in pain, you have to be, you have to be focused, and not blame this, that, the other thing. Say, okay, if I'm in pain, Hashem, and for whatever reason you sent me this idiot who can't find my vein, right? I'm taking the pain, and I'm accepting the pain. But I wanted to get rid of my Averis. It's not stomp. Because if you can just say, oh, I had a bad nurse, then Hashem's going to say, wow, you just missed it. You missed the whole reason that you were in pain. The pain that won't get rid of the Averis. You have to know where it's coming from. Anyway, back and forth. She can't find it. She pulls it out. She says, I can't do this after she did all that, right? Uh, I'm going to get you someone who's the best one that we have. The other one comes. I'm like, she does the same thing. She's tapping around, tapping around. She can't find either on both things. And I'm like, why, you know, like, you know where, you know who I am? They're like, no. I'm like, Rabbi Wallstein, you know, you know my organization? They go, no. I'm like, it's Ornava. You know, the symbol of Ornava is a butterfly. Could you use a butterfly needle? You ever see a butterfly that's this little bit, this big? <laughs> this needle was this big, right? I'm like, how about that little butterfly when they take blood? You know, that little butterfly thing? She goes, no, that won't work here. So, Baruch Hashem, she, Sticks it over here. Now, this kills, by the way. You should never know when they stick the needle on this side of your hand, because you got bones here. There's nothing, you know, there's nothing happening. So I'm like, you better find it, because if it comes through the other side of my hand, I know you missed. I know you missed, right? I'm trying to be funny, right? 
The other one, I was, I was telling her, I was like, pushing a little further, it's going to come out my elbow. Right? Because, anyway. So, so I'm thinking to myself, now they're telling me to get undressed, and these people who are running this place are now going to put me on a thing and hit me with 130 shots of this stuff. They're going to miss. Right? They're going to totally miss my stone. Who knows what they're going to, who knows what they're going to hit? Right? So, I'm, I'm a little bit nervous. Anyway, but clothing, it's just an interesting thing. Clothing, uh, you know, you, we learn about gaiva, how you get dressed and all that. Clothing gives you your humanness. When they, when they strip you like that and they put you in this little paper mache thing with the back open, your mamas don't feel like, you don't feel like a human. I don't care how much money you have in the bank, how many kids you have, what kind of rabbi you are, who you are, when, when you're a piece of meat. You're a piece of meat, and that's how they treat you. So anyway, so they take me and they, 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 they put me down on this bed that you, that's first of all, it's, there's water, cause it's the whole thing, it hits water and the water hits you back. It's a whole mice. The water's freezing, right? So I'm laying down on this thing, and the guy says, okay, I'm now gonna connect the Demerol to your intravenous line. Count to ten, and you'll be out. Now I know, I've had other procedures, you don't make it to ten. You don't make it past five. If you make it to four or five, you're pretty, you're pretty good. You don't make it to ten. They tell you to count to ten, but you don't make it to ten. So I'm thinking really fast. And this is what I'm telling you this for a reason. I'm not just telling you stories. But I'm thinking really fast. It may be my last moment on, on earth. Right? Yeah, it, it may be my, you know. So I have to admit to you, I thought that my last moment on earth, you guys would come in the picture. You know, my chaburas. You know, I was like, bye guys. You know, I'm out of here. You didn't make it into the picture. Um, but neither did Ornava, so don't feel bad about that. Neither did my kids or my wife or my family. So, like, what's happening over here, right? So, what did come into the picture? I'm like, no, not Facebook. Um, <laughs> interesting thought. Maybe they put posted that picture. Right? Walsing in a gown. Hey, you never know. Okay, anyway, so, so, what came into, what came into the picture? That I have about four or five seconds left on this earth. Maybe. How do I connect? Do you say Shema Yisrael? Do you say Ein Oid Mavando? What do you say? What's my connection to Hashem? I, I, I'm leaving. I might not be coming back. I don't, you know. So that's all I was worried about. I got four, he was telling me he's connecting. I'm like, oh my God, what do I say? Shema Yisrael? That's, that's, but like, I'm out of the box. Everybody says Shema Yisrael. I can't say Shema Yisrael, but everyone does. I gotta come up with something new. Right? So I'm thinking, Ein Oid Mavando? That's, um, that's like when some guys are chasing you down the street, right? So all of a sudden, this thought came in my head, say Adon Alam. I'm a very big Adon Alam sir, anyway. And in Adon Alam, it says, In your hands, I place my spirit. I'm like, perfect. So when he put, the, I'm not much memory, I'm, I'm clear. When he connected the thing, I just said, That was the last, I was gone after that. But what was I thinking in my heart? I closed my eyes, and I was in Hashem's hands. And I want you to know something. That I give shiurim. I've had very good times in my life. Hashem, I've had children, grandchildren, stood under the chuppah with my kids. I have had highs in my life. In my life. On Yom Kippur. What I thought was the high, the high of my year is always... Shavuot's night, being up a whole night, but much higher than that is Yom Kippur by Ne'ilah, because I'm in Israel. I'm always in Israel for Yom Kippur, and I'm fasting, and I'm a Tanis Debra. I didn't talk a whole Yom Kippur, I didn't eat a whole Yom Kippur. I'm dead, because it's usually very hot in Eretz Yisrael, 
and I'm standing by the Kaisel, and it's Ni'ila, it's the end of Yom Kippur, I'm in the holiest city, the holiest country, the holiest city, the holiest place in the holiest city, the holiest time of the holiest day. It doesn't get holier than that. And I'm standing there by Ni'ila, and I'm screaming at the top of my lungs, Shema Yisrael, Hashem, you know, Hashem, um, Huelokim, and Baruch Shem Kivoyed, and like when you scream seven times, Hashem Huelokim, at the top of your lungs, Barikoysel, at the end of Yom Kippur, you're a Malach. You are so connected, it's not normal. And, and, and I told my friends always to come. The guys that came with me for Yom Kippur have never since then, you're talking 30 years I haven't missed Yom Kippur in Eretz Yisrael. Uliyayin Hara. So, Every friend that I ever brought for Yom Kippur continued coming all the time. You, you can't, you can't stay here for Yom Kippur if you ever experienced an Elah Hashem Elokim at the end of Yom Kippur in Israel by the Kaisel with your face on the wall. There's, there's nothing. There's nothing. It's the high of all highs. I found out that was wrong. Those four seconds that I said ain't Omuvado. I was in God's hands. I mamish felt that I'm out of here. First of all, I'm not even human anymore. I'm in this stupid gown, laying there like that, like a piece of meat. And then they, you know, they move you. They're like, they move you like a piece of meat. You know, like, it's not exactly in the right place. It's like, today I took an x-ray of my kidney, right, just to make sure that the stone was crushed and everything went out, right? So the lady, like, the mamish move you like, like, like a dead body, you know? Your feet are together, and then, and then, and like, like you're nothing. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't make a difference. We are nothing. Lamaisa, we're nothing. So, I understood this medrash. That as close as you can get to Hashem in the things in life that are tov, that are good, in the, in the things that cause you pain, it's tov ma'od. It's even closer. You're even closer. When a person's scared, when a person's scared that God forbid there's something wrong with him, or a person, that's why I say there's no atheist in a foxhole. When a person's in pain, right? That's when, and, and, and I'm going to tell you the difference. So I thought about this. I'm like, why laying there, no Kedusha, no Safer, no Kosel, no Shofar, no Yom Kippur. Why did I get closer to Hashem for those, in those four seconds than I got after Yom Kippur? It bothered me. It bothered me. Like, just because you were scared? The answer is that when you're in pain or when you're very scared that, you know, things are over, you surrender yourself. There's, there's no you. You're mavato you. There's no you. At the end of the Yom Kippur, Zechariah Wallace, he was screaming, Hashem Olokim! It was me, right? Me, screaming Hashem Olokim. On that table... There was no Zechariah Wallerstein. There was, I'm nobody. I'm yours. It's very different. It's, it's much closer. Because when you're mevatel yourself, you're not there. If you're not there, it's just God. So, I'll tell you something very deep. It took me a long time to think it out because I think things out. What happened on that table was there was no me. If there is no me, then it was four seconds of all God. And that feeling was crazy amazing. I, 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 I don't want it ever to happen to me again.
It should never happen to me again. But you know what? It was very cool. It was very cool. It was a connection that I never in my life felt before. Because there was no me. I was misvato myself. A person's in pain. He's throwing up over the toilet. You know, they call that the porcelain god. The toilet bowl is called the porcelain god. Why is it called, why is it called the porcelain god? Because you should never know from this. Your Rebbe also has all kinds of stomach problems his whole life. So I throw up very, it's very, I throw up like nothing. And, and when you have a virus and you're throwing up and you're in pain, you have stomach pain. For years, I was very sick and they couldn't find it. I had a, um, I had a appendicitis underneath my stomach. It wasn't normally, it's normally on the right side. It wasn't on the right side. It was not typical, like, I'm not typical. So it was, it was caught underneath my stomach, so they couldn't find it. And I was very sick. Every time my appendix would get full of gangrene, I'd get very sick. And they would check me out, alright? They would check my stomach, good. My, co- my colon, good. Everything, good. But the appendix was underneath the stomach, and they never caught it. And I went through this for four years, till they found it in an emergency. They, they saw my blood white cells were very high, they figured, whatever. So when you throw up over the toilet and you're in pain, it's called the porcelain God because you're talking to God the whole time. I promise you, Hashem, if you, if I don't throw, if you take this away from me, I promise you, I'll never, I'll be so good. I, I, you're making promises. Your mom is talking to God in the toilet. You're like, ah, I, Hashem, I promise, I'm do tshuva. Just stop this. Called the porcelain God. Of course, the next day when you feel better, I didn't really mean what I said. I'm not allowed to talk to you in the bathroom anyway, Hashem. I was in the bathroom. Come on, you're not in the bathroom. So whatever I said, you didn't hear me anyway. Yeah. When you're in pain, there's a certain connection. And when you're not in pain, that connection goes away. I'm not, not, not wishing on anyone that you should be in pain, but that's what the Medrash is saying over here. That toys is when things are good, or when things are bad. So when things are bad, when business is good, you're like, when, same thing, when business is good, so my business is good, I am thanking you, Hashem. When business is bad, and you realize you can't control anything anymore, then you're misvatel yourself. Then you're not in the mix. If you're not in the mix, then it's all God. Which happened to me. I spoke to this, maybe this Chabura doesn't know, but it happened to me like five years ago, four years ago. My Chabura, I'll never forget it, because it was the day of my Chabura. It was a Tuesday that it happened to me, where my whole business collapsed. Totally collapsed. I got a call from the bank, Tuesday morning, that they're, they're closing my account, they're, they're pulling off, they're pulling my, my credit line, I need a credit line to run my business, they're pulling my credit line, they didn't like this, they didn't like that. I'm like, okay, maybe I can borrow money from people, you know, I have a good business, I have orders, my biggest customer, two hours later called me, that they found the bags weren't there, da, 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 da. take your bags back, we don't want to do business with you anymore. And then a third thing, I don't remember what the third thing was, the government, they had a duty on something, and this and that, they were putting a penalty on me, ah! It was like, boom, bang, smash. And I sat there, it was, I'll never forget it, it was like three o'clock in the afternoon, I, 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 my office is in Borough Park, and I looked at my checkbook, I have no more bank credit, I had to give them back a million dollars within a week. Didn't have it, didn't have the million dollars. My biggest customer wanted me to go pick up the bags, I was going to lose all, I was like, it was like nothing Zachariah Wallerstein could do. I was in a hole that I could not come out of. So I took my checkbook, I'll never forget it, and I just closed it. I just went, closed my checkbook, took my hat, put it on my head, 
told my brother-in-law, Yankee, our business is over. We are bankrupt. I'm going. He goes, where are you going? I'm going to show my shops to Mincha. <laughs> so what? I said, I'm done. God, the business is yours. I have nothing to do with this business anymore. You put, you did this, you put me into this. It's your business. You got money. You got credit. You got friends. I'm out of here. I'm serious. I walked out of my business. Well, I could, I, there was nothing I could do anymore. I went to Shemir Shabbos and David Mincha. I'm like, okay, I can David Mincha. I may not have a bank. And I may not have any more bags. I may not have any more money. But I can still David Mincha. I went into Shemir Shabbos. You know, they always have a chazan for a chiyav. I walked in with 315. They're looking for someone to down for the almond. I'm thinking to myself, I'm not in a good mood right now. I don't think these people want me to down for them, right? Because I don't know what I'm going to be thinking. I'm like, no, just the opposite. I dab in mincha, chazor sasha, I dab in mincha, and I remember in, in Shmon Esra I said, Kosh Baruch Hu, it is your business. If you want it to succeed, do what you got to do. You don't want it to succeed, it won't. It's bankrupt. Have a nice day. Finished. I dab in mincha, I, I sat down, I said all the shahamalas afterwards, I came back to my office, I remember I came to Chabur that night, I was like flipping out, I came back to my office, by 5.30, by 5.30, I had spoken to my accountant who said, you don't need this bank, I have another guy lined up for you, he's going to give you more credit, I ended up, the buyer called me and said, listen, you want to take all the bags back, maybe you'll give us a little discount, we'll take the bags, by, by, by the time I came to Chaburah Tuesday night, all three things that totally were gone were fixed. I, had, I got a new bank. I lost a little money, but I had made a lot of profit, so I gave back some of the money, but I still had my profit. The government thing was pushed off, and Baruch Hashem, whatever, was taken care of, and the whole thing went away. What happened? What happened was, it drove me to a point where I didn't exist anymore. Me in the business didn't exist anymore. It was Hashem's business. Hashem's business? Hashem knows how to run a business. Hashem knows how to run a business. Everyone always used to ask me, you work from, you, you, you teach from 8 to 12, and from, from, from 1 o'clock till 5 o'clock you work. How does that work? So, they said, so what do you do in the summer? So I said, in the summer I don't teach. In the summer I work a whole day. Let me tell you something. In 30 years, I do much better when I work a half a day and I teach a half a day, than when I work a whole day. God's like, I don't want you in my business a whole day. You can come half a day. I don't want you here a whole day. You're a mess up. I'm God. You're a human. You go teach. You go learn. Let me run the business. We don't understand that. We don't understand that. That's what I learned from laying on that table. The more you mavatel yourself, the less you I did this, and I did that, and I made the shidduch, and I found the girl, and I made the money, and I'm this, and I'm that, and I'm that. The, the more you do that, the more trouble you're in. The less you do that, the closer you get to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The more you mezvatle yourself, the closer to that pain, pain breaks you. Pain breaks you. You, you. If you understand pain, you have a toothache, right? You understand that this toothache, this little tooth in my mouth, right, that I need a root canal on, is making me so nuts that I can't work, I can't watch TV, I can't talk to anyone. So if a little tooth can do that to my whole body, who am I? Pain breaks down the human being. When you're in pain, it's like, I'm this big machine, 
and, and I have this headache, and, and I can't do anything. I can't think. I can't go to work. I have this flu. I have 104 temperature. It's a silly little virus, right? And I'm laying in bed, and, and, and I can't do anything. So who are you already? You walk around, and you think you're this big machine, and you know who I am? Hashem, in one second, a little, a little pain. So pain, this is what the Medrash is telling us over here. Pain brings a person to realize that I'm not so important. And pain comes in waves. Pain comes in waves. It comes, it goes, it comes, it goes. And the Gemara says that a person who's not in pain once every 30 days should know he's not connected to Hashem. There's something wrong with your relationship with Hashem. You, now, imagine a non-Jew would learn this. What are you guys out of your freaking minds? You crazy? Your God only loves you if you're in pain every 30 days? Who wants a God like that? My God loves me because I'm never in pain. I try to explain this religion to anybody. Oh, God loves me. How do you know? Every 30 days, I'm in pain at least once. That's what the Gemara says. What's going on over here? And the answer is that the pain that Hashem gives us is the pinch on the cheek. Hello, I'm here. Not you personally, but I'm here. Wake up. Because if we don't go through anything, if not once in 30 days, we don't go through. First of all, we all there's no one that lives in this world that's a tzaddik that didn't do Averis. So if Hashem's not giving you a little pain, she's not, he's, he's letting you just add up all these Averis and you're going to get smacked in the next world. So I always dive in, listen, don't, you can give me pain, but not too much at one time. Break it up. Put your hand in it. Take out a dollar, a quarter. You trip. You this, you know, other things go wrong. You put in the meter, the meter didn't work. You got a ticket, it aggravated you. All these things, right? Take away a virus. Don't give me like too much. It happened to me uh, the last time I had three years ago kidney stones. I was laying on the floor. I had kidney stones, an infection, um, a, a root canal. That had, all at one time, I was mamish laying on the floor in my house, on the floor, screaming in pain. I'm like, I can't live. I, you have to take me out of this world. I was, in, I was never in so much pain in my life. I said, Kush Baruch Hu, calm down. Take, you know, I can't, I can't, I can't handle all this. You want to give me a kidney stone every two, three years? That's what I said, now I'm getting it, right? Right? You want to give me a kidney stone every two, three years? A small one, it's painful, it passes, fine. But what I was going through then, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't. I said, so, so you want to remind me who I, you know, who you are and, and connect me? No problem. So, so the reason that, and that's what the Medrash is saying over here. That is the reason that we have pain, but you have to understand that. Otherwise, the pain is wasted, boys. The pain is wasted. If you don't realize that that's something to bring you closer to Akash Baruch Now, how do you, how do you make sure you don't have pain? Just little pain. If you have a moon in Hashem, and you trust Akash Baruch Hu, when you're happy, you make that connection when things are good, you don't gotta get the smack. But we forget. We get used to not being in pain, and we forget. And every once in a while, Akash Baruch Hu has to give us a little a little potch. Okay. So, there's a couple of stories I want to tell you and then I'll, then I'll let you go. Just interesting, you know, the, 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 I was talking to my son-in-law today, so he's a Rebbe and, 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 you know, sometimes the kids you do the most for, the people you do the most for, they're the ones who hit you in the head the hardest and it's very hard to accept. There's a famous, um, twist of a word from the Briskarov. The Briskarov, there was this one guy in town who hated him, really, really hated him, and gave him a very hard time. So one day, the briskarov turned to his son and he said, I don't know what chesed 
I did for this man for him to hate me so much. You don't know what I'm saying. How much? What? Because if you don't do one a favor, they don't hate you. But when you do them a big favor, they mamish hate you. So he said, I don't know. This guy hates me. It must have been that I saved his life. I must. What chesed did I do? And 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 it's very very important for all of you guys in your life, in 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 marriage and in friendships and in everything that you do. And and this is something that from the day I got married, I you know I had this discussion with my wife and I repeated over and over because because I, I see a lot of guys, a lot of people, they get very turned off. When you do something good for someone, don't expect anything. Now, I'm not telling you don't expect anything because then whatever you get is going to be good. No. Don't expect anything because that's not why you did it. If you're a good person, if you get up at 3 o'clock in the morning for your friend to change his tire, don't expect that when you call him at 3 o'clock in the morning, he's going to change your tire. Because that's not why you did it. You didn't do it so that at 3 o'clock in the morning he's going to change your tire. So if you call him at 3 o'clock and say, oh my God, what happened to you just happened to me. Can you help me? And he's like, no, my wife gets nervous. I can't leave. Right? Don't start freaking out. Oh my goodness. But I did it for him. I'm not doing anything for him anymore. If he calls you again at 3 o'clock, do it again. What you do for someone else has nothing to do with what they're going to do for you. If you base your life and I'll do for you what you do for me, that's not Judaism. That's not Judaism. And in marriage, it's the same thing. Don't think that everything you do for your wife, she's going to do for you, or vice versa. You, you're a good guy? You want to do someone a favor? Just the opposite. If he doesn't do it for you, then it's a real favor. If he does it for you also, it's not a favor. It's not a chesed. It's a trade. It's chalipin. I'll do for you. You do for me. So what favor did I do for you? If I get up at 3 o'clock for you, and you get up at 3 o'clock for me, we're not doing each other favors. I'm getting up at 3 o'clock because I know I'm going to need you one day. You're going to get up for me. You know you're going to need me one day. That's not a chesed. That's not a chesed. That's chalipin. We're exchanging. I'm giving you a dollar. You give me a dollar. That's not a favor. It's not a favor. So you do for someone and you expect from that person to do the same thing back to you. That is the opposite of a favor. That's giving him what he's giving me. It's a trade. You're just trading. A favor means... That I will do something for you that you won't do for me. So don't get upset. And just the opposite. It's, 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 it's a challenge. Because the guy didn't do it for me, that I do it for him, then you're mava on me daisav and you're kind of ulam in one second. If the guy says, no way, I would never do this for you, and you do it for him, amazing. So, so did I tell you the story of the cherry pits? I think I told it here, right? Right. So that's, that's the cherry pit story. You know, the more you're going to do for that guy, the more he's going to throw it at you. But, but I see there's, there's a lot of guys that, that do what I, you know, in Kirov, and they're helping kids, and those kids are mama spitting in their face. And they're getting turned off, and they're, they're like, I'm not doing this anymore. And I'm like, no, just the opposite. Just the opposite. If you do something for a kid, and he loves you, and he tells everyone about you, and he makes speeches about you, so then you didn't do it for the right reason. Just the opposite. The, the big tzaddikim don't allow by the levaya. They're very against by the Leviah that, that people should get up and talk good about them. They say, we don't, we don't, we don't want. What? No, they just said he was an Ebed, Ebed Hashem. That's all they said about him. But, but there are a lot of tzaddikim that write in their, in their wills that, that they don't want has paid them. No has paid them. I don't need people talking good about me because it takes away from the other world. It takes away from the other world. You think I'm so happy that I'm, everyone comes out? Oh, I, I know a guy that does big, more than I do. He does more than I do. There's not one person in this room. There's not one person in this world that knows his name. 
if I were to get up and say this guy's name, you'd all look at me like, who's that? Guy does more chesed than I'll ever do. Nobody knows his name. He will get Ganeiden. Because nobody knows what he did. Once people know that you what you did, and they're thankful, that's already part of your payment. When you get the smack in the face, then you get the whole, the whole oil of There's one kid, there's one girl that I mamish, I did everything for her. I did everything for her. And she told me that she's giving me a keyboard at her, at her chuppah. And she's giving me the last bracha. Last bracha is big stuff. And this wedding had big gedolim. Big, big people by this wedding. But she felt that she owed it to me for what I did to her. So even though there was Rav David Feinstein, all these big people, they were going to call up Rabbi Zechariah Wallstein for the bracha achrita. Big time. It's big time, right? I was like, no, I don't want it. I don't need it. You know, I'll be an aide, this and that. Okay. I really, really, for this kid, I went a, a million miles. I did crazy stuff for this girl. Okay. What happens? I'm, I'm on my way to this wedding. There's an accident on the LIE. The LIE is closed. I was going to Crest Hollow Country Club or something. I don't know where it was out there. Way out there, exit 40-something. What, 45? 44. I missed her chuppah. I missed her chuppah. I walked in. I was stuck in my car. They called me. Her, the girls were calling me. Where are you, Rabbi Wallstein? Where are you, Rabbi Wallstein? She's all upset. She's about to go to the chuppah. Where are you? And I'm like, I don't know why Hashem did this. Because if anyone deserves to be at that chuppah, there's no way this girl would have ever gotten married if it wasn't for me. So like, if there was one person in that room that deserved to be by that chuppah, it was me. And, and I knew that. And I'm like, God, like, what are you doing? And I missed, and, and I told him, I'm not making it. There's no way. I was, mom is stuck. Get a move. I'm just sitting there, sitting there, not moving at all. I came like in 45 minutes after the chuppah. She was very upset, and I didn't know what to tell her. I sat by the wedding, and I danced, whatever it was. I'm sitting by the wedding, I'm like, Hashem, why? Why? Why, 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 why? I never missed a chup in my life. This is the one girl that depended on me, and then I understood the bracha. Had I gotten that last bracha, I would have lost every chutz that I got for working for this girl. Because I would have walked up there, and everybody would have said, wow, bracha chrita, if she gave that to him, he must have been... He must have really done something for her. And then everybody would have known I did something for her. At that wedding, nobody knew that I did anything for her. Because I got, I got uh, one of the brachas, the shepherd brachas, my benching, whatever. So I went over to her at the end of the wedding and said, come on, I want to talk to you. I'm like, you know how much time I spent with you. You know what I did for you. You want me to get rewarded on this world? You want me to get rewarded on the other world? She said, of course I want you to get rewarded on the other world. I'm like, that's why I missed your chuppah. Because... I never did a mitzvah like this in my life. And Hashem knew that if I went to your chuppah, I would lose at least half of it because they'd go, whoa. And you know, they stand up when you walk up to the chuppah. And, and he got bracha chuita. Baruch Hashem, I missed the chuppah. I said, Hashem knows what, what I did for you. And you know what I did for you. And you appreciate it. And the greatest thing that happened to me is I didn't make your chuppah. And she accepted it. And she says, you know what? You're right. Nobody knows what you did for me, and everybody would have known. They would have said, "Why'd you give him? Why'd you give Rev. Double Feinstein? Why'd you? Would you give Wallerstein? You know?" And they don't have to tell him he did it. She said, "You're right. You have to think 
when things don't go right in your life, when things go wrong, we use the word pain, Yisurim. Yisurim doesn't mean pain always, it's a headache. Right? Yisurim is traffic. Yisurim is you went out nine times and the girl said no. Why did I have to go out nine times, Hashem? Why did I have to go out nine times with this girl for? If it was no, then it, this could happen the first day. What do I have to suffer for? If you have to understand that if you, if you get angry, then you miss the whole picture. But if you went out nine times and then she broke your heart or she said no and you're upset, you'd say, Kosh Baruch Hu, I went out nine times. I spent four hours of time, right? 36 hours. 36 hours, Hashem. Now, it's 36 wasted hours because nothing came of it. So, take off the 36 hours I wasted watching TV, wasting my time, and pay me back. For, you have to understand, it's all you sue him. It's all pain. It's all things that we go through in order to clean up what we did wrong. And if you understand that, just the opposite. You're going to come home after nine dates that she broke it up. And you're going to go, thank you. Thank you. Because it would have been broken on the first date. Then those nine, those, whatever hours I spent, I would have to spend somewhere else in the next world, which is a lot worse, no matter what the girl would look like, a lot worse than dating a girl nine times. That's for sure. And, and, and that's, that's Ahava. It comes from a Baruch that comes out of love. Not out of Chas Risham, the other way around. So, yes, our God doesn't love us if we don't get something once every 30 days. It doesn't have to be big. It could be getting a quarter instead of a dime. It could be dropping a quarter when you want to give tzedakah on the floor and picking it up. The Yisurim don't have to be a disease. But something. Something to connect the person and that's why HaKadosh Baruch Hu brings Yisurim into this world. Okay, so my story, I said that I, I, I said to the girls, the best Yisurim is that you should laugh until it hurts. You should laugh until it hurts. People can laugh until it hurts. That's amazing. Right? Someone says, you got, you, I, I mamish laugh until it hurts. So that's Yisurim and Ava. You're laughing at the same time it's hurting. Okay, so... Okay, this is, I'm going to end with this story. It's an amazing marshal that um, that Rav, Rav Pinkus gives, and it answered for me. It answered a lot of questions. By the way, how do we know that that pain is is so great? Leah and Rachel. Rachel it brings down was greater than Leah. Rachel, her shidduch was Yaakov. Leah Shidduch was Esav. Rachel did the most amazing, the biggest chutz that Klai Yisrael has, Rachel Yimeinu, and she used it when we, when, uh, and Tisha B'Av, right, when, when the, when Beit Mish was being destroyed, Hashem didn't listen to Avram, to Yitzhak, to Yaakov, to Moshe, to Aaron, to nobody, only to Rachel, right? Because Rachel said, you know how much pain I was in Hashem? That I, I gave my sister my, my, my signal, my secret code, so that I could, you know, that she could marry Yaakov and not be embarrassed. I went through all that pain, so Kosh you, you, I went through that and I dealt with it. You gotta deal with it. Christ was misbehaving. You gotta deal with it. And Hashem said, and he answered. So the question is, so how come Leah had all the kids and Rachel didn't? Leah had Reuven, the Bachar. Shimon, it says, was the teacher. His children were all the teachers of Christ All the rabbis, all the rabbis, all the teachers, all the machanchim came from Shimon. Levi was a Kahanim. Yehuda was Malchus, right? Yisachar and Zvulun were the guys who were sitting in Kailel and all the big businessmen. Leah had everybody. On top of that, she was pregnant with Yosef, which is Yisaid. And then Hashem made the switch because she didn't want to have one more child, so he took Yosef and put him in, in, in Rachel and put Dina 
in, in, but she was supposed to have Yosef also. So the question is, if Rachel was greater than Leah, right, Rachel didn't even have kids, right? She had to beg and, that, and Leah, without begging, right, she had the six kids who were the kids of Kleisrael with everything, the Malchus, the Kahuna, the money, the learning, the teaching, everything. And the Teretz is that Chazal says, it's because Leah cried. Because Leah cried her whole life. The Ene Leah Rakais, her eyes were swollen, it says, the Torah tells us, because her whole life she was in pain. And that connection, that connection is even greater than Tzchusim. And, and I, and, and after what I went through with this kidney stone, I, under, I didn't understand the Pshat. Now I, Shimshin, he doesn't explain it, he just says it. Now I understand it. Her connection to Hashem was, she was in pain all the time. There was, there was no Leah. There was no Leah. I'm nobody. Hashem helped me. I'm nobody. I can't do anything. I'm going to marry Asa. My life is over. So she cried her whole life. So her, even though Rachel had more schusim, her relationship with Hashem, since there was no Leah, was much closer. So when she said, I'm hated, and give me children, Hashem answered right away. Rachel not. That's the power of a person who's in pain. And we see it many times. There's a person who's in pain, and that's why it says, be very careful with an ani, a poor person. Because a poor person's tefillah is closer to Hashem than anyone else's tefillah. Who else's tefillah is closer to Hashem than anyone else's tefillah? Two more, it's brought down the Torah. An amana, a widow who's in pain, and a yasam. And a yasam, and an orphan. It doesn't say a tzaddik, a gadol, a balmidos. It says three. Ani, Evion, Ger, and Almana. They're tefillos. Why? Because they are broken. They are broken. And a broken person doesn't put, doesn't get in the way of his own tefillah. Because he removes himself. I'm nobody. He removes himself. He removes himself. He doesn't get in the way of his own tefillah. So those three, it says, you have to treat them very well because the, the tear of an Ani can destroy you. And a tear of an Almana can destroy you. And a tear of, of a Yassam can, can destroy you. You have to be very curious. In a kid in school, even if he deserves to get smacked around or whatever it is because he did a terrible thing, if he's a Yassam, back off. Because a Yassam's tears in Shemayim can cause havoc. Why? Because that person is broken. And that person's in pain. And a person in pain is closer to Hashem than a person who's not in pain. Okay, anyway, so the story from, um, is as follow, from, from Hashem Shempinkas. He says the following. So, we have many questions. One of the biggest questions is asked by people and people who are not religious and Goyim is that, um, Tzadik, and this, this, by the way, is a very fair question because Moshe Rabbeinu asked it, and Yirmiyahu asked it, and David Amelech asked it. Tzadik Viraloi. Why do we see Tzadikim suffering? And Russia Vatoyavoy, we see so many bad people living the life. They live in Los Angeles, they live in Hollywood, they're partying, they're low lives, they're having everything. They got the big car, the big house, the beautiful woman, they got everything. And the Tzadik, he never has no food, he doesn't know where to, you know, he's, he's suffering, he's, he's, so, Moshe asked the question, David Amalekh asked the question, Yumiyo asked the question. So if it wasn't a question, they wouldn't have asked it. You're talking about very big people. And, and, and one of the tiniest on Kleinsville is like, if you're the chosen nation, and you had a six million 
Holocaust, we don't want to be chosen. You were chosen to die. Like, who wants to be chosen if that's what happened? So there's a lot of people that are Jews that are not believers because they're like, if we're special, why does he treat us like this? So, first of all, just very interesting, Rav Chaim, this is so true, because I, you know, I deal with kids all the time, and, and they have questions. You have to know where the question's coming from. How do you know you have to be Tzniyas? Where does it say in the Torah, the length of your skirt? How do you know you have to keep Shabbos? If I want to smoke on Shabbos, until on Shabbos, you're supposed to rest. When I don't smoke, I'm nervous. When I smoke, I rest. So, smoking makes you rest. So smoking's good on Shabbos. A lot of, ki- a lot of questions, right? So Rav Chaim said the following. This guy came to him, and he said to Rav Chaim, I have a lot of questions on Judaism. So Rav Chaim said, it's a fantastic word, it's so sharp. He said, you keep Shabbos? He says, no, I'm a Chalo Shabbos. He says, I want to ask you, your questions are before you were Mechal Shabbos, or your questions are after you were Mechal Shabbos? He said, no, my questions are after I'm Mechal Shabbos. He said, then they're not questions, they're answers. You want to answer why you're Mechal Shabbos. He says, if they're answers, you can't give an answer on an answer. So, if you're asking questions, if you're asking questions because you did something wrong already, it's not a question. You're trying to answer, you're trying to answer, well, I was Mechal Shabbos, so now I can't believe in Shabbos. So he said, so you're not asking me a question, you're trying to answer the bad that you did. You're trying to answer the lifestyle that you want to live. Then you then you have answers. If you have answers, then I can't answer an answer. I can only answer a question. He says, I have nothing to tell you. So, you know, the, it's the famous atheist thing. If a guy doesn't believe in God because he's doing things that are wrong, then you're just trying to disprove God because you want to do things that are wrong. I can't find God for you then. Because you, 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 you just want to answer why you did the things wrong. I can't answer you. You're not an atheist. I can't answer. There is no atheist. An atheist means he learned every safer in the world. And after he learned every safer that it was ever written, he said, now I can prove you after learning everything that it's not true. We first have to know everything. It's like me getting up and saying, medicine, it's not true. It's false. It's fake. It's baloney. It's a bluff. Okay, Rabbi Wallerstein, what is that based on? Uh, I don't like it. I don't believe in medicine. Are you a doctor? Did you do research? Did you, do you read all the books on medicine? You have to read all the books on medicine and go to medical school, become a doctor, then become a, a, a biology re- researcher. You gotta get all the information. When you get finished all the information, you have everything, you can say it's not true. But until you have all that information, you can't say it's not true. What do you know about it? What do you know about it? You don't know anything about it. You can't, you can't, so, so, it's just, you know, it's like, it's like, it's like any science, any science that, that you talk about, you have to learn the science. If you, if you learn the science, then you can disprove it. So any atheist, there's no atheist, there's no, there's no, forget about it, there's no one that believes in Hashem that knows all the sparum. Forget about an atheist. There's no, we, like, there is no atheist in the world. Right? Noah Weinberg said, there's no atheist. Atheist means I studied everything and I don't believe it. Until you study everything, you have to believe it. Anyway, so, so he says like this. He says there's a child to, under, to try to get a little bit of an understanding that we don't understand. I'll end with this, 7.30. He says like this, Rav Shimshin. It's such a good muscle. He says there's a child in its mother's womb. And today, you know, they do sonograms. And they see that the child has a, has a heart valve that's totally growing wrong. And it's in the sixth month or seventh month. 
and they they know that it's not gonna it, it, it cannot make it to the ninth month like this. It's gonna it's gonna die inside the uterus. So they have to do something. So today they're so sophisticated that they can go into in uterus, right? And they go in uterus, they go into the amnio sac, and they can work on the baby, do a surgery on the baby while it's in the mother's womb. Yes, there's chances of abortion, that's the baby's gonna abort, the baby's gonna die, there are chances. But they realize in this situation they do this, it's often. That, that, that in this situation, we don't do surgery in uterus, this baby ain't making it to the ninth month. So, the doctor's gotta go into the, into the, into the, into the, into the, into the fluid, and do surgery on this kid. Now, let's look at this kid. This kid's in the seventh month, right? In the seventh month. It's sitting in its mother's womb. It's in Florida. It's just hanging out. It, I mean, that's the ultimate chill. She's carrying you. You don't gotta walk. You don't gotta talk. You don't got to eat. She's feeding you through the tube, right? You don't got to do nothing. Nothing. You go to the bathroom in there. She gets rid of your waist. The mother's body is doing everything for this baby. This baby is on the ultimate chill. It's like it has to do nothing. Not only is it the ultimate chill, but sitting next to it is a malach. And teaching it, kula. So it's a tzaddik. The baby's a tzaddik. He never did an avera. He's the perfect baby. All of a sudden, he's sitting there chilling. And this scalpel, right, this knife, comes in, into its chest, opens it up, and goes into its chest, goes into its heart, starts cutting, cutting things up in its heart. The baby's like, God, what's wrong with you? What's going on over here? I didn't do any Averis. You're not punishing me. I didn't come into the world yet. I'm learning. Why are you bothering me, Hashem? I'm sitting here learning with a Malach. I couldn't have done anything wrong. I'm learning with a malach. What is wrong with you? What is Hashem doing to me? What is that Meshuggah doing with this, this steel thing cutting me up like a schnitzel? What is he doing? Meshuggah. Right? I'm laying back here enjoying life. Baby doesn't understand. But the doctors outside that are doing this surgery, they're telling the mother, Baruch Hashem, it was successful. We repaired the valve in its heart. Your baby's going to be born in the ninth month. It's going to come into this world a healthy, a healthy child. The mission in Pirkei Avos says that this world is a praise door, is the, what do you call that room? The, it's corridor. the corridor. It's, it's a ante room. It's, it's the, it's, it's, but it's, it's more than a hallway. It's like before you go into the main ballroom, it's like that chamber in the vestibule right in front of it, right? So this world, is the hallway in front of the, the vestibule, in front of, of the real world. So, when we're in this world, we're actually in the womb. Because the nine months, the seven months that you're here, which is compared to 70 years, the 70 years that you're here are only to prepare you, right? It's only to prepare you to go to the real world. This is not the real world at all. So we're in the womb. Now, God is the doctor, and He knows that there are certain valves in our neshama because of our various and things that we did, but if He doesn't do surgery on this world, the baby's not going to make it to the next world. The baby's going to end up in Gehenna or in wherever it ends up, and we're the baby. We're not going to make it into the next world. So, sometimes while life is going good, and you didn't do any of it, you're a good guy! You learn, you dive in, you put your tilling on, you give tzedakah. You're a good guy. Tzadik Moraloi. 
You're not a Russia. You're a good guy. But Hashem says, there are certain parts of this neshama that I need to work on here in this world before he comes to the next world or he's not going to make it. So he comes down while you're enjoying your life and everything's nice and quiet and he does surgery and it hurts. And you're saying, God, what do you want from me? What do you want from me? I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm chilling. I'm, I'm, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Why am I going through all this? And the answer is to get you into the next world. Russia He's like, you can stay in the womb and you can party, but you're going to be a stillborn because we're not doing surgery on you. Yeah, you got a bigger heart valve problem. We're not doing surgery on you. We're going to let you sit there, sit there and enjoy yourself. Sit in your mother's womb and enjoy yourself. But you're not going to make it out of that womb. You're going to die before childbirth or in childbirth. This baby can't make it. That's Tzadik Viraloi, the guy who's doing the right thing, but they're doing surgery on him. And Russia Vatoyvloi, they're not doing surgery on him. So he's enjoying it, but he's not going to be born. In the next world, there's nothing there for him. That's the understanding on a, on a very high level of of what our Baruch Hu is doing. Now, you can sit here and say, yeah, Rabbi Wallerstein, it's great, good story. I like the story with you laying on the bed, and, and, the, and you know, that's the story with Adon Alam. You know, you shouldn't ever know, you should never come to that point. You know, to be at that point. But it's an amazing point when you, when, you, when you think you're not around anymore, and you think you're leaving the world, and you're just like in Hashem's hands. Like, I mamish feel, you feel like, the, he was, he, I mamish felt like he was holding me. It's crazy. It was a crazy thing. And, and I'm not wishing, I'm wishing on you to get that feeling, Without going through the pain. Amen. Because that's, that's a very high level, but everybody could attain that level. But God doesn't have to prove himself to anyone. He doesn't have to prove himself to anyone. There's a, there's a you know my story from the Louvre, right? I've told you that, that long, with, the, with the two women, with the painting, with the Mona Lisa, you all know that story. There's a story where, where uh, Rabbi Sro Salanta walked into a house of a Jew who wanted him to prove God. One of these Jews that didn't believe. He said, I want you to prove me God, Rabbi. So Salanta was a big man. He walks into the room, he walks into the room, and this guy was a big violinist. Big violinist. And he had on the wall, I guess from, from the musical school, whatever it is, so he had like a diploma from the biggest musical school that he was a big, 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 big violinist. So he, he sits down, Rabbi Yisrael, and this man says, Rabbi, I don't believe there's a God. I want you to prove me God. I heard you're a brilliant man. I want you to prove me God. So he shows Salanta says, what is that on the wall? He says, that's diploma. I graduated, Juilliard, you know, whatever. I'm like a big violinist. So he said, okay, could you sit here and play, you know, I'd like to hear, play me two, three hours. I want to hear how good you are. He says, Rabbi, you have to hear how good I am? I have a diploma on the wall. You think every Schmendrick that walks into my house that says, I don't believe you know how to play violin, I'm going to sit there and give him a concert? I give concerts for thousands of people in Vienna. If you know how much money I get paid, you think I'm going to sit here, Rabbi, you have the nerve to take out my, what are they called, Strata, what is that thing? The, the famous violins, Stradivarius. I should take out my Stradivarius for you, and I should give a concert for you. I get paid millions of dollars for a concert. Now, either answer my question or get out of my house. So Yisrael turns to him and says, 
You have the chutzpah of asking me this question? God has to play the violin for you? He has to prove to you that there's a God? He plays for millions of people. There are billions of people that are alive in this world that see and hear and talk and eat and walk and billions of plants and billions of bugs and billions of fish. Oh, so God should stop and give you a special concert that he's God and he has to prove it to you. But you don't have to take your violin out and play for me. But God has to come here now and play for you. He says, God also has a diploma. <laughs> Much bigger than your diploma. Have a nice day. And we just all walked out. Hashem doesn't have to prove anything to us. We are proof that there is Hashem. Each one of us is proof that there is Hashem. <laughs> just yesterday, I took my daughter to, it sounds like I'm busy with doctors, right? I took my daughter to one of the biggest ear specialists, very big guy. On his wall, through his ear, nose, and throat, on his wall, he just had a picture of the ear and all the different parts of the ear. Oh my goodness. What's going on in a person's ear so that you can hear? Oh, the anvil and the bone and the this and that. Like a million little things in your, in your ear. And I was just looking at it and I'm like, how could a doctor not believe in Hashem? I mean, that's just your ear. That's one organ in your body. There's a million, zillion things going on in your body. Hashem has to prove. We are the proof. You are the proof that there's a God. There's no way that a human, that a human being could be in this world that an eye, they say what an eye sees, a camera can't. An eye has like a billion different things going on at one time and the reflection, it's backwards. Actually, I think it, you see things backwards and your brain turns it around. Something like that. It's like a crazy machine. We're, all, we're crazy machines, each one of us. We are not normal machines. Hashem, that's his diploma. You are his diploma. Each one of us is his diploma. So he has to prove to us something. We are the proof. It's like, it's like, it's like a brain cell saying to the brain, prove to me that I'm a brain cell. Idiot, if you're not a brain cell, right? If you're not a brain cell, then you're nothing because we're the brain and you're part of the brain. If you're not, if you're not a brain cell, then you're not, you're not existent. You're only existent because you're a brain cell. And you're in the brain. You're not a brain cell. If you're a lung cell, you wouldn't be up here. You'd be down there. So, if you're not part of Hashem, if we're not B'Tselem Elohim, right? Then, if there's no God, then there's no you. If there's no God, you're a B'Tselem Elohim. You're a brain cell. You're a God cell. You're a God cell. If you are a denier of God and you say there's no God, then there's no you. Then what are you? If you're a God cell and you're, and you're saying there's no God, that's the brain cell saying there's no brain. So if you're in the brain and there's no brain, then there's no you and you really don't have a brain. So, so denial of Hashem is denial of yourself. So HaGosh Baruch Hu should give all of us um, the ability to be able to say, In your hands I put my spirit all the time, Hashem without giving us pain, but from simcha and from love, so that he doesn't have to give Klyasol any more pain. We are in the last moments of birth, as the Gemara says and the Medrash says, and uh, Mashiach's time that we're in, you know, everyone asks me, why are we suffering so much? They think I know the answers, and the answer is very simple.
You know, we have we, cancer has never been like this. Kids not off the derech have never been like this. Shalom bias is totally full, falling apart. Immorality has never been like this. Parnassah is so hard. So, so in a way, it's very sad, but in a way, it's very good. Because when Rabbi Akiva walked through the base of Medjish when it was destroyed, and everybody was crying, he was laughing. Because the Chaya Navi said there will become a time when there will be no base of Medjish, it will be a plowed field, and there will be foxes running. And when he saw the foxes running, he started laughing. All the rabbis said, laughing? You should be crying. He said, no. Because that was part of the Nebuah, that Mashiach is going to come, that this is going to happen first. So Rabbi Akiva said, I see that this is coming true. So in a way, it's very bad what we're going through, but in a way, it's very good. Because the doctor, this is really compared to a childbirth. Some of you have seen it, some of you haven't. The doctor tells the woman that it's going to get worse. Right? So at one point, she's like, oh my goodness, how am I going to deal with this? And the other point is, finally, these nine months are over. I'm finally going to have a child. And that's why it's called the, the birthing pangs of Mashiach. So the final pain, right? And it's an interesting thing about pain because, because the physical body and the spiritual body works together. And whoever has seen a childbirth, when, when the woman's in the last part where she has to push the baby out, so, so during the contractions, they can see the contractions while she's in this pain. This, the contractions what causes this crazy pain that a woman has. While she's in the contraction, that's when she has to push. Between contraction, when she's like, oh my goodness, it went away. They don't, they don't let her push. In the pain is when you have to push. Not only that, but at the end of the childbirth, they don't give them an epidural anymore. Epidural makes the, makes the, 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 the woman's, that she doesn't feel anything from below her hips. So she's sort of like, uh, totally numb. So at the end, when she has to push the baby out, they don't give that anymore. Because if you don't feel the pain, then you can't feel the push. And they're telling you push, and you can't push because you don't feel anything. So the only way you can feel is when you're in that pain, you're like, oh, and you push. So the end, the mamash let you be in pain. And it's very hard. To, believe me, we would, we would have one child, you know, because we wouldn't know what it feels like. And guys, we would, we probably would, only one guy in a chabur would have a child because he would tell everyone else, are you nuts? Right? Are you crazy? Are you out of your mind? But interesting that in the physical world, to bring a child into this world, listen to this, because this, this does the whole circle of the whole shit tonight. To bring the child into this world, is that last push with, with that amazing pain, and then comes the child. And that's what I think. I, I'm saying this totally on my own. I've never seen this anywhere. But I, I, I just, when I was preparing the shirt, it came from Shemayim. I may be wrong, and you guys can check it out. I haven't seen it yet. But maybe that was the punishment. That's why Hashem gave us the punishment that He gave us. He gave us a very interesting punishment. He gave us men that, that you're going to have to sweat and struggle to make a living. Right? That was the punishment that he gave us and death. Those are the two things he gave us. What did he give the woman? He gave the woman that she, that, that in childbirth, right? She's gonna have, it's funny, she's gonna have a lot of pain in childbirth. What, 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 what was those the punishments? Why did he give us those punishments? So I wanna say like this. I wanna say, the Medrash says that when we ate from the Eitz Hadas, Hashem threw us, Mamish, light years, Away from Gan Eden, from where we were. We were actually in Aden. When we ate from the Eitz Adas, we got punished. It says Hashem threw us out of Gan Eden. He threw us light years away from Him. Because of what we did. Hashem gave us punishments, and the woman punishment, things that would bring us to pain. Because pain brings us back to Hashem. 
So in his punishment of the man has to work until it hurts, the woman has to give birth until it hurts, in his punishment he put the medicine. In other words, I'm punishing you with pain because pain will bring you closer to me. Because Hashem, even though it it was a consequence of what we did that we got thrown so far away, he didn't want us to be far away. So he said, how am I going to bring them back to me? I'm going to punish them that the punishment is going to bring pain. What does is, what is, what is a woman scream when she's in pain? She says, Hashem, help me. I can't do this anymore. All of them. Hashem, first it's mommy, the first part. But after that, that goes away when they're really in pain. Hashem, help me. When you're in pain in Parnassa, when things are very wrong, it's like, Hashem, help me. I can't do this anymore. I can't handle it anymore. So in the pain is the refuah. In the hurt, in the pain is the refuah. So he gave us punishments that cause pain because pain brings us close to Akash Baruch The last pain will bring us the closest to Akash Baruch The last pain is Mashiach. It says, in the end of time, which we're right now, you will have no anesthesia. You will have no one to go to to help you. Yishmael and Esav will be together. You'll have a president of the United States, which is Esav. United States is definitely Esav. It comes from Rome. It's Western civilization. And that president will go to Yishmael. I'll show it to you in the Medrash. And they will make peace. Yishmael and Esav will make peace to go against Klai Yisrael. Did you hear his speech to the Muslims about everything is Israel's fault? Did you hear that he wants peace with everybody? Every Nevius is coming true. And it hurts. And we're in a lot of pain. But in the pain is the gain. In the pain is the refuah. And after the pain, when the baby's born, it's just simcha. May everyone in this room have the schus to see the baby be born, to see Mashiach come, and live l'oilam void with their families, You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.